What's up, Red Letter Disciples? It's Zach Zender, and we're back again with another episode. I'm bringing two Chris's to the show today. First, my co-host, Chris Johnson, is going to be joining me in a couple of minutes. And then we're bringing a guest, Chris Burns, to the Red Letter Disciple. Our mission at this podcast is to challenge you, no matter who you are, where you are, to be a greater disciple of Jesus, like right now, this week. Because I believe that when we become the greatest disciples that we can be, of course, through the Holy Spirit working through us, we're going to give the world a more beautiful, truer expression of Jesus. And whenever anybody sees the real Jesus, yeah, that changes the world. So Chris Burns is a great friend of mine. I got to work closely with him for almost a decade in Mount Dora, Florida. Chris Burns is a recovering addict who now leads a recovery ministry. And I I just think that phrase alone is really powerful and a testament to what God does. He takes the broken parts of our stories, brings freedom to us. And then in our future stories, he helps us bring freedom to others. And Chris Burns is doing that like crazy. He's a licensed social worker. He's a sex addiction therapist. So we're going to really dive into uh, what it looks like to uh, to really bring freedom to those that are dealing with sexual addiction or even sexual brokenness. Like, how do you even know what the line is? Is that line even important or or, or not? And so what are some helpful steps if we're feeling in, that we're stuck in, in the throngs of addiction or even just that we fail from time to time? What are some helpful steps? And then most importantly, how can we hear and really receive the, the freedom and the hope that God has for us in the middle of all of that? So a really helpful conversation we're gonna get to in just a couple of minutes. Today's episode is sponsored by Red Letter Living. We're a company that creates resources that challenge people to grow as disciples wherever they are. And so this podcast is one of those. But if you're a pastor or church leader and you're looking to like challenge your entire church, hey, we would love to partner with you. We just passed, I believe, we just passed doing the thousandth challenge in a church. And, and, and what I mean by that is a 40-day all-in church-wide challenge. And what happens in church-wide challenges is you, you, you bring unity to your church as you learn about Jesus. You grow your small groups by 40%. And here's the other cool thing, pastors. Uh, we've got six weeks of done-for-you materials ready to rock. We estimate that it would take you, think about this, 692 hours to create a 40-day experience for your church. And by the way, that's just first drafts only. (laughs) It's not even going to be that good at that point. You know what I'm talking about. We spent thousands of hours on every single one of our 40-day challenges, and churches have had a truly transformational experience in these 40-day challenges. So if you're like, I want to do one, here's what I would say to you. After Easter is a really great, there's a window of time there that, that, that families are still in school, rhythms are still strong, and that's a really great season for you to put a 40-day challenge into your calendar that'll then launch you into a really great summer. And so we got church packs ready to go. You can find out more information at redletterchallenge.com slash join. And pastor, if you want to just check it out, you're not too certain, uh, we'd love for you to do that. You can grab a free book at that link as well. We'll mail it to you. We have been in over a thousand churches and we've not had one pastor say that was a bad experience. Uh, Rather, we've heard the opposite. It's changed churches. It's grown worship. It's grown small groups. It's grown giving. People are finding Jesus and really discovering the life they were made for as they follow after him. So we'd love to partner with you. All right, without further ado, come on, let's get into today's episode with Chris Burns and Chris Johnson. Double Chris time. Let's do this. 
Welcome to the Red Letter Disciple. The guest we're having, I could literally probably read his bio for like 32 minutes, but then we wouldn't have anything to talk about. So let me hit the high points. Okay. Uh, Chris Burns. He is a licensed clinical social worker, certified sex addiction therapist, trained in EMDR, founded Rewrite Recovery. What? EMDR? I don't know. Emergency Medical Dental Restoration. We'll ask him. I think it's eye movement. He's a dentist? Yeah, I don't know. He founded Rewrite Recovery, uh, which is a really awesome recovery program to create an intimate space for Christian men to begin their healing journey as they write new chapters in their lives. I first met this Chris, Chris Burns, in Mount Dora, Florida, and we actually worked together on staff at The Cross. Chris is the healing minister at The Cross, and so I love him. I love his heart. I love his family, his wife, Christy, all their kids, and apparently they got a new dog. He so, may be, Chris Johnson, the yeah. most talented, like from a jack-of-all-trades guy I've ever met. He can songwrite. He can worship. He can preach. He's a handyman. Wow. He did communication for our church. So he was Jeez. doing graphics. Throws the most killer-themed birthday parties for his kids. And on top of all of that, Just has really nice calves because he's on his Peloton every day. Chris yeah. Burns, welcome to the podcast. Wow. Wow. That's, that's a great. I need to take you everywhere. With yeah, he's like the best man. I do feel like that's probably the one comment we get from most people yeah. when they pop on. Is yeah. like, can we just take you guys around? I think we have a job <laughs> exponential because of it. But I had to put the cabs, uh, the, the calves in there because yeah. not many people know that. Show everybody you. your. <laughs> <laughs> How you doing, Chris? Boundaries. We're gonna talk about boundaries. Yeah, boundaries. That's a boundary. <laughs> that's fair. So what's outside of all that? Like, what's new in your life, man? Yeah, that is that's uh, that's a lot. That guy sounds awesome. Um, yeah, I, really, it's it's been you know kind of the new season here of where we are as a church and overseeing the healing ministry, and then uh, really uh, the private practice and rewrite recovery uh, has has taken off, uh, and and that's just been an incredible blessing, uh, just to kind of see you know, uh, lives being changed. And it's not me. I'm just kind of, I'm here. I'm doing it. I'm uh, helping people walk through some of this. And uh, and it's it's just an honor to hear somebody's story. So yeah. when people open up and they want to share, especially when we're talking about like sexual brokenness and all that, that becomes, uh, it's just what we don't talk about. And that's yeah. actually why it exists because it exists in the shadows. Yeah. So I, one of the things that Zach just zapped through is that you're a certified sex addiction therapist. You're a licensed mm-hmm. clinical social worker, and he's trained in EMDR. Nobody outside of the medical profession probably <laughs> knows what that is. What is yeah. that? Yeah, well, it's becoming more and more popular. Actually, it's been around since the 80s, uh, mm-hmm. but it, it stands for eye movement. I don't use it. was medical dental restoration. That was beautiful. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, I'm not a dentist. Oh. Uh, it's uh, eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. So it's a modality to treat trauma. Uh, And so you can do it with eye movements. Uh, So if we were now we're sitting in the office together, I would use uh, my hands and we would do eye movements. Um, And it's not hypnosis, by the way. Um, And usually I do it with through calm bilateral stimulation. And so if I'm doing it online, I have guys, they do the tapping. You know, we're a left brain, right brain creature. Mm -hmm. And and so you've probably noticed if you've gotten really upset, uh, you go take a walk. It's yeah. the left, right, left, right. It's the walking that actually helps to also calm you down. And so when you experience ex- severe trauma, uh, the trauma isn't the event, right? It's the invisible woundedness that you take on from the event. And so often our brain never really processes that. And so uh, EMDR gives us an opportunity to process it in a different way. Um, and to really, you know, whenever you have this traumatic moment or this uh, memory, 
all of the feelings, all the beliefs they attach to that, right? So a good example of that is I was at Disney, I don't know, it was a while ago, and the fireworks are going off, and I look over, and there's a guy in fatigues. I assume he's a veteran, and he's huddled over by the garbage can. He's having a post-traumatic stress response, right? Wow. He's no longer at Disney, right? He's in Fallujah. Yeah. I don't know where he is. Sure. And so, so that he's instantly brought back to his trauma. And so EMDR allows us to kind of get into the memory in a different way. And then the reprocessing part is, is putting the, an, a new adaptive belief in there, right? So then when you, you may, you're never going to forget it, right? It's not men in black, like, like, and you just forget everything. Uh, it's <laughs> that when awesome. you remember it, it's not as disturbing, right? The, the, all of that uh, dissipates. So yeah, that's cool. That sounds amazing. I feel like after uh, we batch record our seasons of Red Letter Disciple, I feel like after these few days, there's usually some trauma when yeah. Chris Johnson leaves. <laughs> Um, just from what I experienced in these days. So I might be calling you up for some EMDR. But yeah. hey, man, I, I think you said it's uh, especially the stuff that you get into uh, sexual brokenness, addiction things are the things nobody talks about that we ought to talk about. And so that's what this podcast is today. We're going to talk about that because it's really important. And so uh, I know you and your story really well. And so first off, I just want to say I am like proud of you, dude. You are doing incredible things mm -hmm. for the kingdom of God. And I am forever grateful for the day that our paths inter interwove huh. wove, weaved on like a Saturday. And then we went and had Chipotle uh, the next day and uh, super awesome. So I want to hear you have a, a recovery ministry called Rewrite Recovery, helping people, we said, especially men writing new chapter in their lives. So I want to back up and mm -hmm. go to your story and tell us how you got to this place today and why this ministry is personal for you. Yeah, sure. Um, you know, I'm in recovery myself, right? I, I've been to treatment. Um, so I understand it from the side of the brokenness. Um, I, I didn't grow up in the church. Um, I, it would be, I joke with, you know, I, you've heard me say this before, Zach, it'd be better if we had been like well-meaning atheists. At least we would have had some kind of direction, right? <laughs> uh, we, we weren't even the CEOs, right? We weren't even the Christmas and Easter only crowd. So I didn't grow up in that. Um, and so, you know, as that goes on and there's sexual brokenness and trauma that was never dealt with, um, yeah, that it, it almost ruined my whole life, almost cost me my family and everything. Um, and so once I got into recovery, I said, this is a good life. You know, this isn't a deficit. And uh, while I was in treatment and early sponsors that I had and therapists, uh, what I found was there was always these, there was always social workers <laughs> that seemed to be around me. And I was like, what is that? Social work. And so then I kind of got into Social work. You know, you've heard me say this before, Zach. I think Jesus is the greatest social worker of all time. I'm talking about meeting you where you're at. And uh, and so I looked at that and I said, okay, maybe I can get into this. And and then I understand the brokenness personally. And so for me, it's a way to get in there and actually uh, help in the ways that I've been helped, right? Part of a step 12 is yeah. uh, having had a spiritual awakening, uh, you now go and help others. And so for me, it's sure, it's a vocation, it's a job, it's a calling. It's also service. It's a way to give back. Did your recovery, uh, Bernsey, did, and I'm going to call you Bernsey probably as much because I got two Chris's here. Yeah. So good. Like did, did your recovery happen before you became a Christian as you were becoming Christian? Or maybe walk me through that timeline because you didn't have God, Jesus sure. faith in your childhood. And yep. so how did that pair together? Yeah, I, yeah, that's good. I I was a kind of new baby Christian, right? So um, I, I met my wife and I was, I was a gigging musician at the time, right? So I'm playing at an open mic. Uh, we met at a place that didn't even exist anymore. It's called Underground Blues. It's been like they built over it. It was by UCF. Hmm. Um, and so we met there 
And pretty soon uh, I found she went to church and I was like, well, okay. So if, if, if this, if we're going to land this plane, I'm going to have to start going to church, I guess. So uh, that was it. So yeah, you know, lust got me in the door. So I, I then got in there and, and, you know, I was like, okay, I start hearing the messages and I went, okay, this, this actually kind of makes sense. I've never heard it from this way. Right. And, and then, um, it was really, it was a lot of deceit. It was, it was me pretending to be better than I was. And, and things that I thought were locational issues, right? Cause I'm from California. I was like, Oh, I'm going to leave that there. or I'm going to leave this in this part. That's a big mistake we make in early recovery, right? Cause wherever you go, there you are. Right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the joke is while you're sleeping, your addicts in the parking lot doing pushups. <laughs> and so, you know, when I left, uh, you know, and, and started, you know, doing this and started going back to what was uh, my vice. It wasn't just uh, sex. It was drugs. It was all of it. And I went back to that and almost blew up the whole everything. Right. And it was a betrayal to my wife. And uh, it was it was massive. And so luckily I had a church family at the time who was like, hey, we're going to help get you help. Um, and I went to treatment. And so there it was really there where uh, my spiritual walk grew, right? Because God had to continually make a way out of no way for me. And, and he did, right? There was no way to pay for treatment. We found a way to pay for treatment, right? There was no, I mean, there's just no way any of this should have ever worked out, right? I shouldn't be sitting in the office I'm sitting in talking to you right now. There's no way. It just shouldn't even happen. And that's God's grace in my story. Uh, and so as that kept going and, and growing, I said, I actually now feel like God has called me into this space. And, you know, and he's got a habit of doing that, right? He takes loud mouths and turns them into their, into his mouthpieces. So that's what he did with me. So Chris, real quick, you're, uh, you've been helping people, men specifically, uh, uh, with sexual addiction and brokenness. Um, I'm curious, uh, a two-part question, I guess. Um, uh, what exactly is sexual addiction? I mean, I'll just be quite candid. Uh, every guy that I know, uh, seems to enjoy sex. Um, so, um, what is sexual addiction? And number two, how big of an issue is this? Yeah, I think it's fine. It's not a big deal. No, it's huge. Uh, it's, you know, like how, how big of a deal is it? Well, the world feels <laughs> it like it's on fire because of this, right? Um, so here's the deal, you know, even the, the construct of sex addiction, that really comes from uh, Dr. Patrick Harms. And, and that, you know, his, his book in, in 1984, Out of the Shadows, that's really when this thing first started. Um, so really, sex addiction is probably 20, 30, 40 years, I guess, behind AA, Alcoholics Anonymous, yeah. Narcotics Anonymous, all the rest. Um, it's not in the DSM-5, which is the, you know, Diagnostic Statistical Manual has every, anytime you're going to diagnose somebody, right? So whether it's alcohol use disorder or post-traumatic stress disorder or generalized anxiety. All of that's in there. Sex addiction is not in there. Um, now, eating disorders in there, gambling addictions in there. And sex addiction is considered to be a process addiction in the same way that gambling addiction or an eating disorder is, right? Because think of an eating disorder. That is one of the hardest things to treat. Mm. What are you going to say? Don't ever eat? Right. You can't. Right. You have to wrestle with your stimulus at least three times a day, right? If not more. So what does balanced eating look like? Well, the same yeah. thing with sex is what does healthy sexuality look like? And so sex addiction ultimately is, is it compulsive? Can you stop it? Right? So um, I just did a message this past Sunday. Yeah, but God loves sex. <laughs> sex was God's idea. We then got our hands on it. And we've ruined it. Right? Oh. And, so, and, and so it's essentially, there's a way 
for, that it was designed for, right? For intimacy, right? It's, it's a form of worship. It's connection. Um, we don't do that with it, right? We've, we've destroyed it. And that's where you have things like Pornhub and, and all the rest that are, are, are huge, right? And it takes over. I mean, even during the pandemic, it became worse, right? I mean, they would give people free subscriptions to pornography websites and everyone was isolated and indoors. And, you know, and then by the way, 12-step meetings can't meet right now because of that. And so the recovery community took a huge hit uh, during the pandemic. And so sex addiction, ultimately, like I tell all the guys I, I work with, say they're struggling with pornography. And I go, stopping looking at pornography isn't hard. Staying stopped is hard. Uh, right. And ultimately, sex addiction, if we make it, if we really whittle it down, it's an intimacy disorder. Uh, it actually doesn't have a lot to do with sex. It's an inability to be intimate, to be vulnerable, to be authentic. Huh. Bernsey, what's the line? Because I, I, I feel everybody probably listening man or woman uh, is or has been or deals with sexual brokenness to some degree or level. Mm -hmm. I'm curious, like what's the line between uh, (laughs) sexual brokenness and sexual addiction? Is there a line? How do you know if like I'm addicted to sex or that I might've just had a, a, a a bad day and uh, done a few things that I, I shouldn't have done does that make sense? So how, how do you know what the line is? Yeah. Sure. Yeah. So, so when it comes down to like, whether it's an addiction or not, I mean, I, even though I'm a certified sex addiction therapist, I don't really even care all about that title, right? If it's addiction or not, is, is it causing problems in your life? Is it something you don't want to do? Mm. Um, you know, ultimately, if, is there shame involved? If there's shame, you know, holy godly sexuality, there is no shame. Right. And so if there's shame, well, then now we're we're talking about something different. Um, now, everybody, everybody struggles with sexual brokenness. We are all sexually broken because of the fall. I, I just everybody. It's not like anyone has this thing figured out. And then one of the biggest things that we miss is the most perfect man who ever walked the earth never had sex. Hmm. That was Jesus, by the way. Oh, for our oh, okay. okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. First of all, I'm talking about you. Jesus, I think, right? <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. And, and he was never married, right? Never married, never had sex. And somehow we missed that, right? That, and it's not like he it was, what? Most theologians believe he was, what, 33 or in his 30s when he was crucified? So, uh, yeah. You know, well, Ken Brown wrote the Da Vinci Code, a fictional book, and he says that Jesus was married. But most of us, <laughs> yes, who are biblical well, that's scholars, true. That's uh, true. agree with that. That's great. Okay. Uh, So, Chris, I've been working with youth for 15, 20 years. And Mm. I would say that, honestly, probably, uh, and I've I've said this to Zach, I am surprised at what young people will communicate to their pastor and things that I never would have said, uh, you know, like too a, much you're saying. Not, yes. Yeah, and okay. I'm like, okay, I don't need all the details, <laughs> man. I get it. Um, but what I've seen something interesting happen in the last five years, I would say 90% of guys are struggling in high school with pornography mm-hmm. because of the easy access. You sure. think about pornography when, um, we were younger, like you had to make the embarrassing walk into the sketchy store to get a magazine, you know, and that, that alone would prevent me from doing anything. But now we've handed teenagers these devices and they can be instantly connected. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and because of that, what I've seen recently is that a number of young women have been doing the same thing that the guys are doing and they're coming to us and 
and trying to break free of it. Um, I know that you work with other men, but can you talk a little bit about that? Um, what is going on with women? And, mm-hmm. and, and yeah, just I'm curious your opinion on, on that. Yeah, yeah. It's Well, look, women struggle with pornography as much as men do, right? The problem is there's even more shame and more stigma for women. Really? It's almost assumed that men would. Huh. Right? And so when women struggle in that way, it's even lonelier. It's like, well, who do I talk to now that I have a sex addiction? Right. Or, or, or if you want to call it unwanted sexual behavior, right? If you, if you don't want to say addiction, right? So I'm doing something that I don't want to do and there's high levels of shame, right? Huh. So, so women struggle with this uh, just as much as, as men do. Would you, just, say, yeah. Chris, would you say that that's for married women as well as single women? Yeah, I, well, I think that, yes, I mean, I think both. I think there's some good, uh, some data on that. And I think some of that you see in the, like the Conquer series, I'd put some of that in that, that blog post I had written back a while ago uh, on the website for, for Zach. And yeah, I, I think there's there's some good uh, numbers on that. I don't have them in front of me, but I can tell you that they struggle, uh, right? And, and there's just, there's more shame around it. Um, but typically what I do, since I work with men primarily, mm-hmm. um, what I'm usually working on isn't so much sex addiction, but helping people to understand betrayal trauma, right? Because that's a big deal. That's what what, explain of, that. what is that? Yeah, betrayal trauma is the trauma that the partner experiences when there has been betrayal, whether it's digital infidelity, whether it's been I've actually crossed the line and had affairs and there's okay. been infidelity. They are dealing with betrayal trauma. Now, for a long, long time, uh, unwittingly, we had shamed partners because what we would try to do is put them down the same road of like substance abuse, right? So hmm. a good example of that would be man and woman, uh, you know, the, the man's drinking, let's say he's an alcoholic. Right. Well, the wife knows he's an alcoholic, right? There's no, there's no mystery to it, right? Like we see the beer in the fridge, we see that he's blacked out again. And there is a lot of enabling that can happen in that regard, right? So uh, because, you know, they just need to set some, some healthier boundaries, but that's hard because you love the person. And it's not like anyone knows how to do this. Uh, and so I have a lot of compassion for partners either way. When it comes to betrayal trauma, they didn't know about it. It was a secret, right? So it hits them out of nowhere. So then when you then go to that partner and go, well, what's your part in this? Well, that's the worst thing you could say to them. They had nothing to do with it, right? And so often it's, it's really difficult to get partners to see that they also need to talk to somebody mm-hmm. about their trauma that they're dealing with, right? The way we attune to each other is we look at each other in the eyes and we talk. And, and that's how we build trust. When that gets fractured, it, it breaks everything. And so women are, are in specifically in a married uh, context. These women who are struggling with betrayal trauma are dealing with post-traumatic stress disorder symptoms. Wow. And so they are absolutely uh, just jarred by this. And, and then when they don't have context for it, and then you go, hey, you need to maybe see a therapist. Well, they go, well, what? I didn't do anything. Now, he's the one who did all this stuff. Why should I have to see anybody? And so then you have to tell them, well, listen, he's the one who crashed the car into you. Hmm. But your head's still bleeding. So you still need to go to the hospital. It would be ridiculous if you got in a car accident and said, the only guy who has to go to the hospital is the guy who caused the accident. And so it's, it's educating partners on trauma and specifically the betrayal trauma, because then it's hypervigilance. I need to go through every email. I need to check their phone constantly. And they just stay in this traumatic arousal state that just, it, it takes a long time for couples to heal in that regard. I just, it's amazing. God gives good gifts and right. Sex is one of them and how, like you said, put it in our hands and we make a mess of it. And once we do that, like the enemy, I I just see him so at work in this particular Mm -hmm. area. Uh, A couple of things you said uh, first, just that 
this feeling for whatever reason, even though we can see the statistics of I'm alone and nobody's going to get me. It's like, no, sexual brokenness is the like what people are dealing with. And so get it out into the open, get it out into the light. Let's talk about that. And, and then on top of that, the shame that, mm-hmm. that comes from this, it, that, mm-hmm. that people are living with. And on top of the shame now, the person who was betrayed is also going through things, but they feel alone and they don't know they can talk to someone. So I just feel like, man, this is his playground that Mm -hmm. that we're playing in. And I'm curious for you, because when I look at like where the world is headed Mm -hmm. and where it's already progressed the last couple of decades, Johnson just talked about how, yeah, back in the day you had to go to the gas station or maybe you find it in your weird uncle's spot. And Mm -hmm. that's, that's where now it's in our... uh, this opportunities to, uh, to fail in this, to have unwanted sexual behavior now are in our pockets. Mm -hmm. Um, they're everywhere. Data is being consumed like crazy. So that's where Mm -hmm. we are now. And then I look at things that I don't even understand fully like virtual reality. I think about augmented reality Mm -hmm. and think about that, man, if we're, if we're already here in the future, it's going to make it feel even more real for the Mm. porn or sex industry. I'm like really worried. (laughs) Yeah. Could I be like, what's your take on it? Yeah. I just say, let's just get some bubble wrap and wrap it around (laughs) our heads and let's go hide under, under a blanket. I mean, yeah, yeah, it's, 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 and I'm pretty positive, optimistic guy too. So I like, I don't like being worried like this. Right. right. Well, a couple of things, I think, you know, one of the main things that starts this honestly is unresolved trauma, right? It's, if we go all the way back, I mean, I think that, I think evil has an intent, Right. If we can say that God loves sex, well, evil hates sex. Right. I want to break things that were never meant to be broken. And so I see that evil breaks something all the way back over here. And then people go, oh, man, I'm fighting, you know, the devil. I go, the devil, he's sitting up with his feet, you know, drinking an umbrella drink for the last 30 years. He hasn't had to do anything. All he had to do was break this thing all the way back here in the beginning. Yeah. You know, and, and it's never been resolved. And so we get there. So then when we move forward, you know, everyone's really addicted to their devices. I mean, go, you know, go to a restaurant and look around or at a stoplight, look around, everyone's on their phone. So the industry is actually starting. And what I mean, the, like the technology industry is starting to get into this space, right? There's things like the light phone, um, which is great. It's a phone that you know, literally cannot access the internet. You know, back in the day, you'd have to get like a flip phone and there'd be a lot of you know, shame here because you go, well, everyone else has a smartphone. There's literally another one called the wise phone, which I wish I had branded, 10 years ago, because that's what I've always called it for, for guys. Uh, get a wise phone, not a smartphone, a phone that will keep you literally, you cannot use it to act out. So that's one of the biggest things. So then when you add Snapchat and Instagram and all yeah. these other places, um, and who knows what it will be in the future with you know VR and, and all the rest, yeah, it, it does look uh, pretty scary, right? That, that we have to have language around this. And I think what's difficult is the church has a really good answer for this. Mm. And we don't talk about it. And so that's one of the biggest issues, right? So when uh, we look at something like Song of Songs, right, which is the, the book that no one reads uh, <laughs> in the Bible, that's, that is telling us, like, look, in the context of marriage, man, sex is a beautiful thing. It's an unbelievable thing. God made it. He designed it. It's awesome. Uh, but if we don't understand that, well, then we want to keep doing it our own way and then add in devices and social media and everything else and the thing goes off the rails. People who would have never had, uh, I believe, a, a an addiction uh, to like a sex addiction mm-hmm. uh, now do because of the devices. I mean, and you know, there's people who would say you have a sex addiction. Well, how do you say that to the 14 year old who's addicted to pornography and he's never had sex? Mm. He has a sex addiction. He's a virgin. 
well, he has a pornography addiction. And, and those are really different too. There's pornography addictions a little different than just sex addiction. And so there's a, there's a lot of different behaviors that fall under the umbrella of sex addiction. Uh, the good news is there is recovery for it. In the same way that it's never been worse <laughs> as far as technology, um, I always like to play a little thought experiment, right? That if guys from AA, if, if I could bring them here now, right? If you were to go to an AA meeting back in the 1930s, 1940s, someone had to drag you to the meeting, yeah. right? They would drive around with a paddy wagon. You'd be falling down drunk out of the bar. You'd wake up and sober up in a, in a meeting, right? That's how that happened. So if I could take one of those guys, bring them to the future, and, I, and after I had already blown his mind around the internet and technology and, <laughs> and everything else, if I could get past that, and then I was like, by the way, you could go to meetings online or on your phone, and he would go, oh my gosh, everyone must be sober. And you'd be like, well, no, we're not. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm hearing, yeah, that while, while we've never had opportunity to fail as much, we also have never had opportunity to recover as well sure. as we have today, right? Yeah, that's, that's good. So for someone that's like stock, right? And whatever that looks like, and I heard earlier you say, I'm not as concerned about the title addiction or not, but uh, that, that piece of if there's shame involved, then, then we, we want to combat all of that and whether it's addiction or not. So for someone who's stuck in pornography, sexual brokenness, addiction, whatever it might be, it, it mm -hmm. can feel helpless and powerless. So I, like, what do you teach? Like, what are some really good first or next steps for that person? Yeah. Yeah. So one of the first steps is, is the first step, <laughs> right? Of, of like A-N-A-S-A-A, right? But you said something there that I think is really powerful, right? Because I tell guys all the time, I go, the first step doesn't say, oh, I have a problem. That's not it. That's really simplistic. It says I'm powerless over the addiction and my life has become unmanageable, right? Those are the two components, powerlessness and unmanageable. But if I say, give me other words for powerless, what are words you think of that you associate with powerless? Mm, I can't do it. Weak. There you go. Boom. You just, there it is, Chris. So weak. So out the gate, you want to get right. Yeah. That is the right, wrong answer. So here it is. So, so, thank you. so what you did, I've been told that a lot. Yeah. Well, it's, well, what I mean is that's the answer that most men give you, right? Guys will say weak, right? Or they'll say helpless, right? But powerless doesn't mean weak or helpless, not in the connotation of addiction and recovery. Right. And so here's the example I give everyone all the time. You and I, we are all powerless over gravity, but no one would say, man, you're so weak. I can't believe you're not floating in your chair, right? Because we don't have any, I don't, I'm powerless over it. I have nothing, we're powerless over a ton of stuff, right? And so I'm powerless over the addiction, over the craving, over the trigger. I'm powerless over that. And my life, because of that, has become unmanageable, but I'm not helpless. Mm. I can pick up the phone. I can ask for help. I can go to a meeting, right? So with gravity, I could drop something. I can't do much about it. I can pick it back up. So that's the the illustration I use, because if we don't get there first, guys will go to meetings and go, what do you mean I'm powerless? I got power over a ton of stuff in my life. And, but they, what they're hearing is that I'm weak. And we're saying you're not weak. Right? And it's so in line with Christianity, right, that we have to surrender. <laughs> we have to surrender to have victory. Right. I mean, how does that make sense? It's so countercultural. Well, the same thing is true in addiction and, and recovery. And so that first step. We have to get there. We have to understand that powerlessness isn't weakness. And then the next big thing I would tell guys is you have to talk about it. You have to share about it with somebody, right? Not everyone gets an all access pass to your life, but you got to talk to somebody about it 
And, and maybe the next step there, if someone's really struggling, like on their phone, is to look into some of these new resources where you just literally can't access the phone. Yeah, it's good. Well, and, and just to jump in real quick, I was having just this conversation this week because I also um, teach at a private school, ninth grade through 12th grade. And so I've been able to develop these relationships. And then when all the other kids leave the room, one will stick around, right? And mm -hmm. want to talk. And this just happened this week. Great kid, loves Jesus. Um, uh, amazing. And he said, uh, Pastor Chris, I got to tell you, like, I never had the intention to look at porn, but then I go to Instagram and I see like a video of mm -hmm. some girl and it sparks this rabbit hole. And then, you know, 20 minutes later, I'm engaged in something I had no intention to do. And I feel like so guilty about mm -hmm. it. And he's asking me, like, can you help me with this? And, and in the past, Chris, I've said, well, let me install something on your phone and then I'll be your accountability buddy and stuff right. like that. But then it's like, oh my gosh, that's a lot of work to go through <laughs> all the different things. And I, I'm just wondering, like, you know, as somebody who's trying to help, yeah, you know, I tell them, hey, listen, that's a lie. Those people are getting paid. Like, this is mm -hmm. not, it's all just a lie. But, mm -hmm. and we know that, uh, you know, in, intellectually. Sure. And it's like, it goes back to what you said. You know, it, this kid is not weak, but when right. he gets down that rabbit hole, he becomes powerless to the trap and the mm -hmm. lie. That's exactly it. And what you just said is, he's got, we have the knowledge. We know to not do this thing. Yeah. But do we really understand it? Right. Because one of the things that happens with pornography is we dehumanize. Yeah. Right? We don't see people as you know images of God. I don't see these as brothers and sisters in Christ. I don't see them as the Imago Dei, like they're the image of God. Right. right? They're not all image bearers. I'm seeing them as as bodies for me to consume. Uh -huh. Right. And that is where we lose it. And so we're so desensitized right, to this that it just it's just too much. Right. I'll, I'll give you one example of this. And I had a guy I worked with for a long time and he was doing great. Six months sober, seven months sober, he's doing great, going to meetings, doing the whole deal. And, and he comes to me and almost like he's mad at me, right? Like I've sold him a, like a, a bill of goods. It wasn't worth it, right? He's almost like it, it's harder now. Like it's worse. Now. I'm six months sober. This has never been harder, right? And I'm always really fighting for that first year of recovery for guys. And, and here's what happened. He, he had just gone out to the mailbox and he opened up and he pulled it out and it was like a Victoria's Secret catalog. Now here's the deal. In active addiction, he would have never even noticed it. He wouldn't even have seen it, right? Because he had clothes on and the whole thing. Like he would have just wouldn't even have thought twice about it. But now he's sober. And he said his first thought, I mean, he said first thought was I could hide this in the garage. And he, and he was like, and he's never done anything like this. So he said he went over to the garbage can, he threw it in there, threw some pizza on top of it. And they called his sponsor. And then he came and saw me and he was all angry with me. Right? Like, and, and, and he was just like, this is harder than I thought. I said, what's happening? Is you're becoming resensitized mm. to the world. You're starting to see people as people now. And so when you then see this thing that you would have never seen, you would have never even have noticed it in active addiction, you now are so hyper aware that you went, oh my gosh, this is like fire in my hands. He's like, uh, you did, did did you send me this catalog? Like, you're like <laughs> yeah, I, I sent everyone I worked with that catalog six months in just to test it. <laughs> It's a weird strategy, you I guess. Passed, it was in business. You passed the terrible. test. Terrible. No, I did not. No. Yeah. That's how real the struggle is. Yeah. 
that that that's really good. I've heard you give an analogy before on like a backwards bike. Mm -hmm. uh, talk to me about that because I think that'll help help people understand this a little bit more. Yeah, yeah. Um, this is back in like when pandemic starts, and we're all like, we're all going to make a YouTube channel. And I made two videos and I quit. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so Destin from Smarter Every Day has this incredible. It's a, it's I don't know, probably came out 2014 or 15. Now this video. And uh, he's got a great YouTube channel and podcast and the whole deal. And he um, essentially took a, a bike. The engineers made to where when you turn right, it goes, the wheel goes to the left. You turn left, the wheel goes to the right. And I think it's just one of the greatest illustrations for addiction ever because no one can ride the bike, right? And so I made a, a video on my channel that you can check it out about it. But essentially, it's that this, uh, the neuroplasticity in our brain gets really rigid as we get older. So even if you want to change something, you may not be able to change that behavior. That's why I tell guys who, you know, early, early in recovery, if they're like 20 years old, I go, this is the best time to get it, right? Because mm -hmm. your frontal cortex stops developing around 26 years old. So you at 26, it's, it's going to be harder for you to get recovery than you at 20. Now, the problem is you're 20, <laughs> you know, so it's like the best time to get recovery and the worst time because you're experimenting and learning about the world, right? So with the backwards bike, it's a great illustration of, this guy, he just takes eight months before he can finally actually ride the bike and he can do it. So he can get on the bike yeah. and he can actually ride the backwards bike. Well, then eight months in, he goes to try to ride a regular bike and he can't do it. Hmm. He literally can't ride a regular bike. And we always say, oh, it's just like riding a bike. Well, he sat there and he tried it and it took him about 20 minutes before he, I would say, relapsed right, to where he could then ride the regular bike again. Now, for me, that has major ramifications for recovery. Right. Because most people, all they see is like, oh, man, it only took him 20 minutes to relearn how to ride the bike. And I say, yeah, but what you're missing is the fact that he literally couldn't ride it. Yeah. Right. Which means somebody could come up to you and hand you your drug of choice. So you could be in a situation where you where you want to click on a thing that you say you want to click on or you're saying you don't want to click on. And now you go, this doesn't even this doesn't even compute with me anymore. So I'm not even going to do it. And And that's the beauty of the backwards bike is that you know, you can change your brain. I always say, thank God for neuroplasticity. Could you imagine if you couldn't change your brain? Hmm. Yeah, hmm. it's good. And so when I think biblically or scripturally about that image, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I, I, I'm drawn to God's grace, right? Mm. Because uh, God's grace is that thing that changes us. Yeah. And, and, and while we receive it, and, and that gives us the beautiful gift of salvation. It gives us new birth. It, it forgives us of our sins. Um, there's, there's still uh, like a training, if you will, uh, a, a learning and growing in that grace uh, for behavior and thought and thing like that. But I'm drawn to the particular story that I know we share a passion for. And that's the story of when Jesus restores Peter and so, like, I wrote a whole book about it for giving challenge um, so people can read my thoughts on it. But I want to know why is that story important for you and meaningful for what you do? Sure. Yeah. That, that story uh, was in a recovery ministry that I was in early on, and it really just hit me. Um, I relate to Peter a lot. Right? <laughs> Give that dude a paragraph. He's going to mess it up. Right. And, <laughs> And, and there, there's a drastically different Peter, obviously, in the book of Acts, right? I mean, that's just, a, yeah. it's like rock star, who's this guy, right? And, but there's this piece of him where I just go, yeah, he goes back to being a fisherman, huh. right? He just goes, yeah, this must not have been the thing, right? And I think specifically when Jesus shows up and reminds him 
of like the worst moment in his life here. It reminds him that, yeah, yeah, you denied me. You betrayed me. But he never shames him. You know, and I think if we can get that posture right as a church, you know, and I, and I try to do that to the best of my ability as a therapist, right, is to meet somebody in the way that Jesus met Peter on that beach. Like, there's no shame. He just meets with them, right? And he, and he just tells them the truth about himself, sure. And not a, we don't usually enjoy that. Uh, <laughs> he does it in, in such a graceful way. I mean, even just, I just can't imagine, like, when I first rock up on that beach, you know, well, after I put on more clothes and jump in the water like Peter did, uh, but then I just smell the fire. I just go, uh-oh, already, right? Already with this. And I feel like it's so relational, right? It's just such a, I remember your worst moment. Like I was there in your worst moment. I'm going to bring you back and remind you of your worst, your worst moment, but not to hurt you, right? That's cruel. And, and our Lord isn't cruel. And so he just goes, I'm not going to shame you in this. But I'm going to remind you, you're not a fisherman. You're a fisher of men. Yeah. And you've just forgotten who you are. Yeah. And I, th- I think that's so important. Like the, the shame piece of it, like whenever he has that conversation mm-hmm. about the fire with Jesus, um, th- the reason we know it's not shame, right? Is because Every, every time Jesus asks, do you love me? And Peter says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Mm. The direction Jesus points is forward. Yeah. Feed my sheep, feed my sheep, feed my sheep. Yep. I'm calling you right back to who I called you to be. And that's what I think is so amazing about the grace of God is that mm. when we fail, when we mess up, uh, when we're in addiction, when we struggle sexually, when we've looked at something we shouldn't have intentionally, unintentionally, indirectly, directly, mm. it doesn't matter. God points us forward and gives us yeah. opportunities. And, and, and I, I think that's so cool. So the charcoal fire image only comes yeah. up a couple times in all of scripture and it's right. It's mm-hmm. where Peter fails Jesus when he denies mm-hmm. him three times. And then it's, and then it's in that John 21. And so uh, you did something that what in the last week or two, not, it's interesting. You, you yeah. in the story to AI. Oh, tell, yeah. Tell yeah, there's a couple of these, you know, new AI, like uh, Dolly 2, I think is what it is, uh-huh. AI-generated text, you know, you, and I, you know, of course, I want to break it, right? I want to be like, there's no way this thing really works. And I just wrote in, I said, like, an oil painting of Jesus and Peter on a beach next to a charcoal fire, and Jesus is wiping a tear from his eye or something like that. I'm like, yeah, what do you got, AI? Um, and it, it spit out a pretty beautiful painting we're gonna show it let's on our youtube if you're watching youtube you can so wait you can say it, it say it again what did you spit in yeah so jesus right. and peter on a beach yeah. uh yeah, next to a charcoal fire and i said an oil painting and and jesus wiping a tear from his eye from his cheek and um, the ai did this and the ai made this and you can it's like it's like this moonlight is hitting them it's just so <laughs> beautiful right i mean it's and it's just the but the posture is so right like you can tell that's the moment when it says peter was grieved yeah. right and, and there's Jesus with his, you know, his hand on his shoulder. I mean, I could make a really good argument that, you know, we, we often look at this like, well, Jesus, you know, brought him back to the fire. I would say Peter was going to live next to that fire the rest of his life if Jesus didn't bring him back to it. Mm-hmm. Right. He was going to live in that shame for the rest of his life. So it's not like Jesus brought him back to the fire. He said, listen, it's like exposure therapy. Right? Mm-hmm. I'm going to bring you back to the worst part of your story. But if I don't do that you're going to bring it back to yourself every single day. Yeah. You'll live by this charcoal fire, right? But you're going to live by the, the, the fire of the shame and the denial. So I'm going to bring you back just to remind you of who you really are. 
I'm scared of AI. I think it might take it might take Chris Johnson and I's places in the Listen, near future. Here's the thing: uh, the only tangible talent that I have in my life. I, I I was envious when I heard your intro. You're a repair guy. You're fixing teeth. You're doing all these things, and I the only talent that I have that's discernible is being able to kind of talk. And here's the thing: it. it if I was born a hundred years from now, I, I would, I don't even know what I would do. And if I was born back in caveman days, I would have got eaten by a saber tooth talent. I was born in the perfect time because this is all I can do. Wow. Yeah. I'm glad you found that. But out. I'm saying that AI is certainly going to take this job. <laughs> yeah. No. Yeah. There's obsolescence written into all of this. We're yes. all going to be like, same thing with therapy. I think of this at some point, you know, Siri is just going to be like, how are you? You know, I mean, it's yeah. just, you're going to just talk to your phone and it'll yeah. count for you. Well, and it's like, some people say, oh, why would you go to truck driving school? They're going to replace you. And I'm like, dude, we're all going to get replaced. Yeah. <laughs> Not just the truck drivers, the counselors, the pastors. You don't think yeah. AI could write a better forgiving challenge book? Oh, please. Oh, ouch. <laughs> that hurts. Maybe, I don't know. I'm a little nervous. All right. Uh, the last thing with that story that I think pairs with your recovery ministry, it's called Rewrite Recovery. And, mm -hmm. and I think the coolest piece about the whole interaction in John 21 is it's like this chapter that never should have been in the Bible. Mm -hmm. So disciples, if you're listening out there, if you look at, if you take out your Bible and you look at the end of John chapter 20, uh, you have John who wrote the gospel of John, obviously that kind of closes the whole gospel. You know, I've written mm -hmm. all these things that you may believe in the son of God and you may have life in him beautiful ending. Jesus had already come back and, and nothing more needed to be said. It's done. Mm. And then you have John 21, which is mm. my favorite chapter in the Bible where Jesus restores Peter. And the very first four words in John 21, afterward, Jesus appeared again. Mm. And that for me is like everything when it comes to recovery, when it comes to messing up is we have a God who appears again and again that when the enemy wants, and even when the world wants to tell us our story is over because of what we've done, because of how we failed, uh, this is why I love your ministry title. God writes new chapters. Yeah. Uh, talk to me about that. Yeah. I, and that's, that's a big part of it, right? Is it, can it, can it be rewritten? Right. I think that's, that's part of it. I can't do, can we even believe that I can write a new chapter? Um, and so that's it. I mean, we're, we're trying to go, well, that can't, it's not done, right? You got breath in your lungs. You're still alive. The, the, the story's not being done. It's like, it can't be done. Um, and so can I actually hold out that hope that that's not who I am, right? That, that I'm not the sum of all my worst decisions and worst mistakes, that I can actually rewrite something and go on and have an incredible life. Uh, that's the hope. And I think that, you know, even just kind of letting people know that that's part of the gospel, Right, that he shows. I love it in Mark. Right, tell the disciples and Peter. <laughs> that's like my favorite. I love it because for me, that's tell the disciples and Zach, tell the disciples and Chris, tell the disciples and the other Chris. So you know, uh, all the Chris's, all the Chris's unite. Um, that's such a relational piece, right? Because I know in that moment, if I'm Peter and I hear that he's back, you think the first thing he's thinking is woohoo! You know, I'm thinking that you can call me the Rock. There's probably not a rock big enough you could hide me under. Right. <laughs> so that's how I, I think that is where he thought his story was done. And I'm just a fisherman and it ends there. And he goes, no, 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 you're a fisher of men. And I don't think at that moment, 
Peter would have ever thought he's given a sermon that thousands are being added to the church in a, right. in a single message, right? I mean, so that's a whole different deal. The other part of the rewrite thing for me is uh, specifically around EMDR, right? That we can maybe go back in there and rewrite some of these things that you've held as trauma forever. And so everything here is up for grabs, right? It's not so done. It's not all so written and we're planting the flag and that's it. If you got breath in your lungs, yeah, then you're, you're not done and we can still write new chapters. Amen. That, and that's what that's the what I hope people hear from this episode is, man, no matter where you are, it's not over. There's hope. God's not done with you. You God's got a plan. And, and Bernsey, you're a walking testament to that, man, mm-hmm. to come out of what you've uh, done and come out of and to see where you are today is, again, just another reason why I'm just so grateful that I know you, that you're in my life. I'm proud of uh, your recovery, uh, which you're you're still in and you'll always be in. And now uh, you're doing the thing that Peter did. You're using the thing that once was against you to not help bring freedom to others. And and so I think it's so cool. I just think it's awesome that, you know, it, you went through something uh, that was traumatic where you're saying to yourself, I don't think I can ever get out of this. And now you, uh, you know, God takes this horrible thing in your life and now brings something good out of it where you can sit down with somebody no matter what they've walked through and say, mm. I get it. Um, but I'm telling you, this is not the end of your story. Mm-hmm. And I know it, working with addiction, all kinds of addiction, alcohol, drugs, whatever, yeah. sometimes that is super hard because uh, I mean, nature and uh, human habit is to fall down and go back. And so that's got to be one of the toughest things for you. Like you just said, and I love what you said, let's make it the one year, like setting out those tangible goals. Mm -hmm. But then, uh, so I, I, uh, God bless you, my friend. Uh, The work you're doing is not easy, but it's needed. Thank you. Yeah. It's uh, there's not a lot of wins. Right. You know, in addiction recovery, whether it's substance abuse, sex addiction, eating disorder, you fill in the blank. It, there's not a lot of wins, and, and that's because we lose hope. Right. And we, we start going, well, this is who I am. And it's like, well, it's not who you are. I mean, it's, it's, it's what you've done, <laughs> but it's not, who, it's not who God says that you are. He goes, no, no, I, I say that you're this. And by the way, I get to say that because I'm the author, right? I mean, that's the right, beautiful right. part of yeah. God doing it. Yeah. I mean, a baseball player can make it to the hall of fame hitting 250. So come on, you know, like <laughs> one out of four, you know? Yeah. All right, all right Zachary. Bernsey, we ask all of our guests to challenge our listeners that if they can do one thing this week to be a greater disciple, what would you challenge our listeners? Yeah, I'm, I'm really big on uh, prevention, right? So that we don't get to where you're seeing me. <laughs> um, you know, I, I'm, I'm really big on how do we have these conversations? Here's what I see so much of, right? Uh, I, I, I want to make like a shirt or something that says, I just have too many, uh, you know, emotionally connected uh, scriptural leader men in my life said no one ever, right? Like there's just, it just doesn't exist. And most of the men I work with have just so much brokenness and they don't have good relationships with their fathers. It's just such a big deal. So when I ask men, like, how did you hear about sex? It's, well, no one in my family ever told me, right? right? Dad never talked to me. Mom never, I didn't know idea. And so one of the things I would encourage men to do is, is to actually have that conversation with your kids. Right. I know it's uncomfortable. There's a lot of resources out there how to have that conversation. It's uncomfortable. Right. But if you don't have it, it's not like that conversation won't happen. And by the way, it can't just be like a, a talk. I, you hear that. I, when did you get the talk from your family? 
One it shouldn't talk. be. A, uh, it should be a conversation. I mean, that we, we don't do that with church. Right? We yeah. go every Sunday because we need to be reminded. Right? That's uh, that's why Paul's writing to believers. Right? We need to be reminded, and so we have this obligation to do that as families. Can we have those conversations? Right now, that's really hard to hear if you're a single mom and you don't have who's the healthy male role model who's going to have that conversation. Have the conversation with your children. Um, that's a big, big piece. Uh, it's scary. It's tough. There's a lot of resources out there to help navigate that. Uh, but if you don't have that conversation, don't fool yourself. The world will have its conversation with Absolutely. your kids. Yep. Yep. It's good. So the challenge then is let's do something this week then to prevent us from getting in a place where we need to see Chris. <laughs> that's it. That's it. I like it. Let's get him out of a job. <laughs> Listen, I, I've, I've said that a lot, right? If, if the church did what the church is called to do and when it's at its best, yeah. well, then some of these other professions don't exist, right? The reason that you need therapists is because we're not getting great counsel even within the church. And so my hope is to flip that, right? And I know that's a big part of, you know, red letter, right? Is to go, how do we actually empower people to have these conversations better? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then you would have more time for the Peloton and the Pinterest projects uh, that Christy yeah. loves putting into your lap, which you That's crush it. every yeah. single time. And none of us are jealous or coveting of all of your skills. Yeah. Uh, with that, Chris Johnson, yeah. uh, you've got a little segment that you want to do with Burns. Yeah, I do. But first, oh, you're I letting go of the chair. You're standing up for this. First, I think that we've actually learned a lot today, Zacharias. Okay. Uh, I think and allow me to recap. Here are the three key takeaways from today's podcast. Uh, and feel free to pull out a pencil, write these down, Cam. Here we go. Number one, first, Jesus wasn't married. And uh, Burns, Chris Burns said that if we want to truly be like Jesus, we should never, ever get married. <laughs> wow. Well, I, don't know, I don't know. That. No, that's, not, that's not right. Okay. Let's go number two. Uh, the first step of breaking addiction <laughs> is to take the first step. There's a difference between powerless, powerlessness and weakness. Also, Chris told us quite convincingly, we will never defeat gravity, but that does not mean that we are weak. I do feel like right. said that. that's good. Okay. I got that one good. Yeah. All right. Finally, yeah, that, one, that, one, that one was better. <laughs> finally, <laughs> some kind of fluid thingy in your brain. We doctors like Chris and myself, we call it neuroplasticity. Uh, good. It's harder when you get older, and that means it gets harder to change habits, yeah. proving the age-old advice that it's hard to teach an old dog new tricks. Yes. All right, good. Two, Two for, for three. three. There you go. All right, uh, here's the game we're going to play. We're going to bring in our producer for the first time in three seasons. This He's is gonna, history. This is historical. Wow. The greatest producer uh, in North America, Cam. <laughs> Nobody knows his last name. Uh, Cam. I'm like Cher or uh, Madonna. Just yeah, one just name. One yeah. name. Okay. <laughs> this, Chris, this is what we're going to do. We're going to just kind of rapid fire them off. I need you and Zach and Cam. And this is the reason that we're including this is it was trending yesterday on Twitter. And it was kind of fun. Make a movie title less intense. Wow. Make a movie title. Okay. I'll go first. Make a movie title less intense. A clear and pleasant danger. <laughs> Go ahead, Zach. Uh, so how about snacks on a plane? Snacks on a plane. Oh, I like snacks that. on a plane. Cam, yeah. Go for it. 
the Texas Chainsaw Masquerade. Oh, that is fun. It's a fun. Yeah, that That's funny because I had the Texas Chainsaw Repairman. So <laughs> I thought that was go ahead, Chris. How about home together? Oh, yeah. That's really good. That is like home together too. Obviously. <laughs> <laughs> what about chariots of warmth? That's a little less intense than fire. Uh, go ahead, Zach. I like star debates. Okay, star debate. That's star. a little less dramatic than wars. Cam, what do you got? Some like it lukewarm. Oh, some like it lukewarm. Go ahead, Chris. Uh, I don't know Spanish, so I was going to say something around Encanto, but I don't even know what that means. <laughs> Encanto. Encanto. <laughs> and, and my final one that I was really proud of and stole off the internet, one Dalmatian instead, as opposed to 100. <laughs> definitely, that's definitely safer. I mean, I feel like that's just going to be a boring show. Go ahead, Zach. The Janitor of Oz. Oh, that's good. Instead of The Wizard. You follow around in black and white what the janitor does yeah go ahead cam what do you got my last one v for vending machine oh i would love <laughs> that v i feel v. like that that could be on like uh the food network a guy goes around <laughs> just always pounding on there trying to get his money back i love it <laughs> give me my money chris do you have any last one my favorite christmas movie live soft live so oh instead die of hard. die hard that beautiful wow that was a great game show thank you so much Chris Burns and the uh, world-renowned uh, producer Cam jumping in there. Zach, any final things? Burnsy, I'm proud of you. If people want to find more out about you and all the services you offer, um, where can they find you? Yeah, so just at rewrite-recovery.com. Awesome. Awesome. They'll find it all there. We'll put that link in the show notes as well. And uh, Bernsey, thanks. Thanks for bringing it, man. We, we, awesome. we love you. We appreciate you. And thanks yeah. for a lot of people. God bless you, man. Yeah, thank you, guys. I appreciate what you guys are doing, too. Thank you. I love the story of Chris Burns. He inspires me, challenges me. He reminds me of how good God's grace and his hope and his freedom is. I'm truly proud of him and thankful. If you need help in this area, check Chris out. You can find his website at uh, in the show notes and at redletterpodcast.com. And, and what I mean by that is if you're just an individual who's struggling and looking for someone, uh, Chris can help you. If you're a pastor or church leader and would love to consult Chris, we didn't talk much about this, but, but he, he helps churches build recovery or healing ministries at their churches because so many are dealing with this. And so Chris is a great asset and resource for you. Let him be. That uh, You can find more about him at our show notes. You can also find more about our sponsor, Red Letter Living, and those 40-day challenges that change churches. If you want 692 hours of staff time back, how does that sound, Pastor? We got a resource that can help you after Easter. Check it out at redletterchallenge.com slash join or go to redletterpodcast.com. You'll see everything there too. All right. Subscribe, rate, review, follow, because you will not want to miss next week's conversation. It was one of my, one of my most favorite. I think we're all, by the way, going to get smarter next week because we're bringing Jesse Crookshank into the show. She is a Pentecostal neurologist that graduated from Harvard. <laughs> so yeah, Jesse's also led some wilderness expeditions and she helps ordinary people see that they are in fact disciple makers and I even get to battle with this Harvard grad to see who knows more about 
for whatever reason, the state of Wyoming. So you're going to see who wins. Am I smarter than a Harvard grad? I've always wanted to know. We'll find out next week. But more important, we're going to all grow as disciples next week as Jesse just brings some incredible, incredible content to us. And so check it out next week at the Red Letter Disciple podcast. We'll see you back. A Huda Media Production.